0: Welcome everyone. Welcome to the new interview series on the Multimedia Men podcast. I'm Brian Kluger and I'm joined by the host with the most, the man I want to sing in a fisherman shanty with for life, Mark Chaffardini. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great,
1: buddy. Doing great. I've been practicing in the shower all morning. My uh, My throat's ready, although that sounds very
0: weird to say out loud. Yes, yes, and the shower singing is always good, but we have a very special episode today. We have a legendary intercontinental champion of theater and film all the way in England, Tuppence Middleton. How are you doing?
2: I'm good, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Oh,
0: you're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, I we're just happy to have you on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we'll just Let's jump into it. Let's let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did it all where did it all begin? Where did it all start for you in theater and television and movies? Was it something you watched on TV with your parents? Was it something you go into the movie theater? Where did it all begin for you?
2: Hmm. Um well I always really Loved film. I think film was probably my first love before theatre, really, um, which is an interesting thing because when you're training to be an actor in the UK, often most of that is doing theatre, and that that's how you kind of that's how you begin, and and that's that's what you do throughout your th- your your training at drama school. But then when you leave, you tend to go into doing more screen. Or that's certainly what I did. So I, I started off doing actually pantomimes. I don't know if that's something you have in. Oh no, we do. <laughs> Oh, you have pantomimes. Okay. Um, so I started off doing pantomimes um, when I was probably 11 or 12 um, outside of school. And then I, and then I joined my drama club at school and, and various after school things. But I never really thought it was going to be a career. I just really liked doing it. And, um, and then when my careers advisor at school asked me what it was that I wanted to do, I, I said acting. And I think she probably almost laughed in my face <laughs> um, and, and said, you know, you should probably have a backup. But um, I was really stubborn and, and didn't have a backup and was lucky enough that I, I got into drama school on my first try and moved to London at 18. And, and then the rest is history, as they say.
0: <laughs> there you go. And so you mentioned your first love was film. Do you remember that first movie that was like, oh, I'm in love? <laughs> uh,
2: well, do you know what? I remember... Um, very clearly, staging a protest in the rain with my sister, um, and the protest was against my parents because they wouldn't let us watch Beetlejuice um because they said um that it was too dark and we were too young but we were so intent on watching it that we we made um paper banners and marched around in a circle outside um in our garden uh, screaming, we want beetle juice we want Beetlejuice!" juice um and eventually forced them to let us watch it so that's my first memory of like being so passionate about a film that i you know that that nothing else but i wouldn't be able to think about anything else but um yeah, I mean, there were so many things that I, I loved growing up. Um, I suppose those kind of like typical like Hollywood films that you watch when you're, you're younger and that are so, seem so far away, like kind of Alien and, and Jurassic Park and all of those really exciting things when you're small and they're so big. Um, so that was what got me into that experience. And I just loved being in a cinema and going to, you know, that collective experience of watching a film was, and, and still is really exciting for me.
0: Okay, so can you set the stage and talk to us about uh, walking in those first couple days into drama school? Because I got to imagine that's pretty intimidating. Did you walk in with all the confidence like, yep, I'm going to own this? Or we were you like, Oh, God, there's, what am I going to, what am I doing here?
2: <laughs> no, I'm British. I didn't walk in thinking I'm going to own this. I walked in thinking, oh, I that like almost turning my back and immediately walking out. I mean, no, we're sort of, um, it's like inborn in us I think that we we think we're going to fail at everything so um I was totally nervous um it felt like the first day at school even though I was 18 technically an adult but I yeah I remember actually our first term of drama school um (laughs) they our first kind of project I suppose which was uh, quite a bold move I think from the drama school was um stand-up comedy so we had to go in and write our own stand-up comedy routines which were eight minutes long which doesn't sound very long but when you're
1: that's difficult to talk to
2: it's a long time and we we were asked to you know we were kind of given these classes where we're sort of taught you know the basic kind of formula to stand-up comedy and we were taught like stock phrases to go to if we were really dying but really we were on our own we had we had a partner who we would test out like material on and then And then yeah, and then it was just like eight minutes, here you go, and we had the whole, the end of that first term, we performed to the entire school. So all of the second years and third years and all of the teachers. And it's like, it was excruciating, but it felt like a baptism of fire. It's like you you either, you know, do or die.
0: <laughs> oh, the, a lot of uh, comedians that do it for a living say it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And I'm curious, did you do like observational comedy? Do you remember some of your bits? Do you still do Honestly. that to psych yourself up? Or was it like prop comedy? Or
2: <laughs> no, I, don't, I wish I could remember my routine. I'm sure I dressed um, very strangely. I think it was kind of more character comedy. But I was also talking about... Uh, a, a lunch with a lot of like a sunday lunch out at a pub with my family that's what it was about but i can't remember what happened at that lunch which i thought was so funny and i'm sure the audience didn't think it was funny either but it was definitely like observational about my family but at the same time i think i was trying to distract physically by dressing in a very um Bizarre way, just in case that failed, and then I just be like, "Way, I'm a clown." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so you you you're in the school, and you're 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 not, I guess, competing, but you're learning all this stuff. Do you remember, uh, like, that one moment where you realized I want to do this forever? Maybe it was something like when a joke or a scene that you were acting in really stuck, and you got the applause. You're like, "Wow, this is my home."
1: Um. Hmm.
2: I think there were lots of moments um, because, you know, basically you're, you're you're kind of trying out lots of different styles as well as, like I said, it was mostly theater, but you're, you're trying out, not only methods of acting, but also, you know, styles of theater. So I think it was when we were doing Tennessee Williams that I really um, felt a connection to it and thought I, I, I'd always really loved doing comedy and I, you know, a drama school we did like Noel Coward and um and uh I can't I've blanked on the, the name of the playwright that we used to do a lot of, but and which I really enjoyed and I thought that that's what I would end up doing more of. But then when I did the Tennessee Williams stuff, it, it was a lot more serious than the stuff I had envisaged doing, but I felt really excited by it. And I think that it's always those things that make you feel like you're slightly out of your comfort zone, which um you know that the fear is is quite a good drive. I think when you're acting, and and that's why it's always, I think, a good thing to feel nervous when you're starting on a project or when you're about to go on stage because it it kind of galvanizes you.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, if the stand up comedy routine was a main, a way to sort of break you down and you know let everybody show each other their underwear, what was the <laughs> first thing that you felt really helped build you up? And at what point in drama school did you think? You know, I think I've got a hang of this.
2: Um, Well, actually something I really liked doing, which I haven't had much of a chance to do since um, was we used to do uh, improv lessons. Um, So, you know, like that that very typical improv exercise where you would, um, two people would create a scene and then um, your tutor would freeze the scene and then one person would tap the other one on the shoulder and they would leave and you would go in and start an entirely new scene. So it was always about listening and responding. And, um, and I think that that's also quite, I suppose, a Meisner technique, but it, I think we work quite differently in the UK um, to how actors work in the States. I mean, I know not all, American actors are method actors, but that's how we kind of, um, view them as like, I, I suppose, taking it more seriously than we do because we're, you know, I think Brits tend to like gloss over everything with a sense of humor. And so, um, you, you go and work in America and you're like, Oh God, I really have to up my game because everyone's like, you know, in character and you, you know, you have to, do I call you by your real you my weekend? Is it like, you know, how do I, um, so, yeah, I, I felt like it, that's, it's also a chance to test out what you like doing. You know, I, do you respond to Meisner or do you respond to that kind of, um, you know, sell, the method thing or, or do you j- literally just, you know, joke around in between takes and, and just make sure you're kind of present in the scene? So I think that I really liked that is trying out all of those different styles and sort of finding, you know, cherry picking from each what, what you find useful.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I heard Al Pacino say one time uh, he was giving a speech at the uh, Actors studio and he says the best advice I ever got was don't take any advice because, you know, if you think about it, after all, there's only one Tuppence Middleton. There's only one Al Pacino. So you have to find what works for you. Do you remember maybe what the best advice you ever got? And maybe when you tried it, you go, nope, I like the way I did it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um it's a specific piece of advice but I'd say like over the years I've definitely learned to trust my gut a lot more because I think you always have an instinct about a project whether it's from the script stage or when or when you're on set and you're having a conversation with a director or another actor and and I think it's really important to trust those instincts um which in your the early part of your career is not always that easy and I think um I think also uh, as uh, as a woman in the industry, I think that often you can feel that you don't have as much of a voice, and, and I wish I had sometimes um, been able to speak up for myself a bit more um, in my early career. Um, in a way that I feel that I, I, I don't um, have any qualms about doing now. But I think that when I was first looking to to go into this as a career, that um, I remember someone saying that you, you should have a plan B um, because. <laughs> because it's acting like let's face it, <laughs> never going to happen, so but then i but then I actually I really disagree with that, and I think that if I um speak to other young actors, it's probably the wrong thing to say, but I always would tell them don't have a plan B because you might take it like, and if you if you if you give yourself another, another option i didn't really have any other options i don't think I was good at anything else, so I, I don't know what I would have done and and so then you put all of your energy into making that work and yeah, fingers
1: crossed, <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think that, you know, like Rocky said, he's a boxer because he can't sing or dance. So he, you know, obviously has no plan B. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think that you are the most proud of, the the biggest curve that you've turned and said, you know, uh, I'm now, look at me world, Teppins is here to stay. What do you think helped you turn a corner? Do
2: you know, I think actually, um... This is probably a really boring answer, but I think that I I feel like I have been a real slow burner and I'm really grateful for that, actually, because I have so many friends or I'd heard about so many of my peers who had essentially left drama school or with the first job that they'd done had kind of hit this insane level of fame. And I don't think I would have been uh, ready for that. I don't think I would have been mature enough and I don't think, I think it's what what I'm really grateful for is, is having that time to practice and to get better. I mean, no one's good in their first job. And the idea that you do one job and then suddenly everyone knows who you are and you don't get a chance to, to get it wrong. Like I think so many young actors are, have such a huge amount of scrutiny on them because they're, they're expected to keep delivering time after time and you don't always get it right. And sometimes... You know, you do a film that's a dud, or you do a part that you're not suited to. But the, the point is that it's so nice to be able to experiment as a sort of jobbing actor, and each job is a stepping stone to the next. And and you always try and find a script that's interesting or something that you haven't done before, or or that challenges you in a way that you you have been looking for. And I think that um, you know, I still I'm still not sure <laughs> what that I'm there yet. But I I'm really I'm just really happy to that I can keep working.
0: Well, you you have an amazing resume, like quite impressive, you know, from the current war, Jupiter Ascending, Downton Abbey, Trance, Sensei, so you've worked with some of the greats and we're here with uh, Fisherman's Friends, which is a lovely musical tale. Uh, the transformations in this movie and the characters are great. Can you talk about boarding this movie and taking the ride and, uh, and talk about like filming on location in that beautiful town and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was, it was really, um, I mean, absolutely it was a job and we worked hard, but it was really like a holiday because that that village um, by the sea in Cornwall, Port Isaac is so beautiful. And we were filming there one kind of unseasonably hot May before all the tourists got in, which is usually around June to August. So we kind of had this little tiny village to ourselves and it was just us and the locals. And we we immediately um, got a sense of what it was really like to live in a community like that. And, and what was beautiful about it is that we all stayed in the village in these tiny little cottages. And so I would walk to work every day in the sunshine, past the sea, two minute walk up a hill, get my hair and makeup done and then walk back down to the location. And then as soon as... Shooting was finished. Then we walk past the local pub, and it's rude not to pop in and have a pint with the fishermen. And you know they and they're all singing songs in the pub like they do in the film. Like that's genuinely how they live their life. So it's it was really nice to kind of experience a simpler way of living and and of shooting too. It was it was really like a a total dream to do it. And I think that um, often I like just by chance I seem to have done you know quite a lot of sci-fi and quite a lot of period drama um and this was something that was kind of neither and it was like modern but it was so quintessentially British and it was also just very feel-good and there's a lot you know quite a few projects that I'd done that had had been quite dark and I think it was just nice to do something that was about community and family and um and friendship and it felt like you know the the last few years have been a really tough time for the world and and it I just thought it was nice to do a film that felt like real escapism.
0: No, it it was. uh, And I, I, you know, I escaped there and I was like, man, I want to wake up in that town and have a beer and just like jump into singing. (laughs) (laughs) Did Did you get to sing with anybody and did you get to meet any of the real people or? I mean that's the
2: the kind of um, bummer about it is that I didn't actually do any singing in the film because it was so it, obviously it was the, the fishermen that did all the singing. Um and I was so jealous because I loved all of the songs and I would hear them sing them in the pub all the time, so I knew all of the words but I just had to be kinda of quiet behind camera. But um yeah, but they, they really do sing every Friday on the um on the plat, on the harbour outside the pub and they draw these huge crowds and um so that was amazing to see these performances every week and also they would just sing in the pub they would break out into these sea shanties and um I you know I got to go to all of their rehearsals and and the the fishermen all live in the village like they're all you know a few doors away from the pub so they were they were in the film too they play the kind of rival quiz team at one point but that which is which are their rivals in real life so it's quite difficult for them to <laughs> um, that was a quite a hard pill to swallow, I think. But um, yeah, so they were in the film and it was like very much, you know, they, they were consulted about so much of what went on. So it was, yeah, it, it would be um, strange not to have them involved, I think.
0: Right. And since I'm a huge, uh, I'm a foodie, that had to be some great food living in like the, fisher, the fisher, fishing town right on the coast there.
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah, you got the, well, I mean, it's the home of the Cornish pasty. Have you ever had a pasty? What's that yeah
0: well it's
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you knew what a pasta tastes like it, they're like um i mean you can have different types you can have like a uh, like a potato cheese onion one, or you can have like um a uh, a beef one it's like they it's like um quite hard to describe it's like anything. a pastry N- but it's not sweet, it's savory and it's like um it looks it's kind of folded at like pastry which is folded over and it has like um savoury filling and they're hot and they they were basically um they were what like workers used to have because they were a quick meal which was like contained in itself and you could just eat by hand without like having to you know go and sit down and eat it it was like a quick meal but it's become like the food of cornwall and also um a cream tea which is um scones with jam and um clotted cream Mm. is very british and very cornish
0: all right. Oh, no, now
1: I'm hungry and thirsty. Well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. You might have to send some more money to drama school because uh, you didn't sell me on that one bit. We're going to do take two. <laughs> Action. Sell us on the pastry. <laughs> Go. Action.
2: <laughs> so, what I will sell you on is fish and chips. I think you like
0: oh, that. Oh, I've made those. I love fish and chips for yeah, sure.
2: So, so fish and chips are very big down there, too. They have a great fish and chip restaurant down there. There's like a michelin star chef who has his own fish and chip, like fish restaurant right on that beach. And so
1: he had a little cameo in the film too. Oh, oh very nice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what the, the film, aside from friendship is also about family. So James Purefoy plays your father and there's an yeah. interesting dynamic you have. You know, he's trying to protect you. He doesn't want to let you go. You meet this new fast talking um, uh, music agent. So uh, how, how did you and he develop this sort of chemistry on set? And did you draw from any personal experiences?
2: Um, well, actually, what was great about um, James Purefoy is that um, he's from a very similar area um, to where my family's from. So we're, we're both from Somerset, which is in the, the West Country in England. So it's not quite as far Southwest as Cornwall is, but um, the accent is kind of similar. And we both came from that background of, you know, village life. And so there was, that. that's great because then you immediately have that shorthand. You know, often you're asked to like, fast track intimacy with someone in like three days or like <laughs> zero minutes depending on how much time you get given which is not usually very much so it was really nice to meet him and as soon as he opened his mouth I was like you're from the west country and he was like yeah are you and I was like yes. Yeah. so there was that immediate kind of bond over that and people who are from the west country are like very loyal to each other so um yeah that felt like uh we already sort of knew each other
1: <laughs> great well, and you know when you, uh, you mentioned Sensate and uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending, and uh, James was in um, what was it, Altered Carbon? Really heady sci-fi. So, when you go and you take these projects, I mean, do you, you've done a lot in your career? Do you ever look at something on page and go, "What am I getting into?" And you know, who's going to walk me through this? What makes you take a project like Sensate or Jupiter Ascending? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that those those kind of projects you really have to trust in your filmmakers and, and I did Jupiter before I did Sensate. So um already you see the name Wachowski on it and you think, yeah, sold. <laughs> um, sure. So, um so that yeah, that was a great start. And um and then it became um it beca- then it became, you know, much clearer as we were going through the pre-production period that the kind of scale of it and and I had such a great time working with them that afterwards um when we'd finished Jupiter um I remember Lana saying to me like hey I have this um tv project that I'm developing and there's this part in it but she's like she lives in London but she's Icelandic and I don't know like would you be up for trying an Icelandic accent and I was like yes and so, like that would never have happened ordinarily. I would never be cast as an Icelandic part. It just wouldn't it, It's those kind of opportunities that arise through working with people and, and really getting on or, or having a good working relationship that you, kind of take you on these strange tangents like i that just uh wouldn't have happened and i I meant that I spent so much time traveling the world, but also. I spent a lot of time in Iceland and it's a place that I've been back to several times since. Cause it's one, it's now one of my favorite places on earth. It's so beautiful. So I feel really lucky. And I think sometimes you have to just be a yes man and kind of go with the flow.
1: Well, um, maybe you can clarify that, you know, the Wachowskis seem like they have a very specific vision. So, uh, do they ask you to try stuff out? Do you really have to listen to what they say? Or do you really, like you said, trust your gut now? Do you really, Uh, try things on your own and find out what works best?
2: Um, Well I think both experiences were different because I think with Jupiter that it was much more, um, because it was such like a big budget studio film, like although it felt like the process of it felt quite free, it was like generally a bit more fixed because you know it being shot in a studio Um, and with Sensei, we were filming mostly or almost entirely on location and constantly traveling. And you know, we would have a core um, crew that would travel with us, but lots of local hires. So, you're often in places which, uh, you know, although you had permits to film in these places, we would turn up and they would say, like, okay, well, actually, we, we, we like this background, so we're going to change it. And, and maybe I'm just going to change these lines. So, like, your lines, your the, the kind of locations, like, things would change last minute a lot. So it it was a really good lesson in thinking on your feet and not kind of being obsessed with planning too much. So that's definitely something I learned on that project was to, um, that slightly freer uh, way of making a film that it felt like you kind of would go into a place and see what that location or that energy threw at you.
1: And at this point in your career, do you feel like that's um, limiting? Do you feel like that's freeing? Are you frightened or do you have a nice calm demeanor? A bit of both?
2: No, I think you really have to, um, it changes with every job because I think you, every filmmaker, every director is so different in their, um, in, in their method. And I think that, you know, if you sign on to work with a certain director, um, of course, you, you have your own opinion of, of what the character is, and you have your own way of working. But also, you're sort of respecting their vision for the project. And that's what I really like is that, you know, some, some people will do two takes and they'll, they'll have it. And some people will do 50 takes and they'll still be like, yeah, we can go again. And you think, <laughs> oh my God, I must be the worst yeah. on the planet. But actually it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's nice because you, it would be boring if everyone worked in the same way. And, I, and it wouldn't challenge you and it wouldn't make you um, stop and think like, oh wait, how do I like doing this? I think that if you're too set in your ways, then you don't grow as an actor. So I, yeah, I I really like it. As soon as like someone comes along with a new strange way of working, um, I'm into it.
0: (laughs) Great. (laughs) I like that. So I can instantly tell about you that you have this joyous passion about the arts and film and everything in between and i think that has transferred over to your social media your instagram and i love and i took notice that you a lot of your pictures are in black and white which i love i love that it's all black and white can you talk a little bit about that and i got to meet uh i guess through virtually uh archimedes is that his name
2: well actually do you know what yeah that's what i originally called him because um, I just thought it was such a great, strong name. And, um, and I also, that's what the owl was called in the Sword of the Stone, the, the Disney movie. And I just, uh, and he kind of looks a bit like an owl because he's really fluffy. And, um, and because he's kind of a, a bit of a dopey cat, I thought um, I, like, I'd give him a good start with like a very like uh, kind of almost like mythical name. And then he just, he just never responded to it. So I ended up just calling him Bib. So now he's called Bib. Bib. <laughs> yeah, but his, his given name is Archimedes. Like, but that's just—I mean—he has a hundred different names that I call him. But yeah, he's um, he's called Bib. But he's uh, yeah, he, the Instagram thing. It's um, I, I was really reluctant to join it at first because, you know, obvious reasons. I just didn't um, I didn't know if I like got it, what it was about, and I, you know, I I was interested in what other people were posting, but I also didn't just want to post. Mm-hmm selfies a day because i don't like i think that's sort of unbearable and i don't know why anyone would want to see that so i just then posted pictures that i liked and um and of course sometimes there's things about work if i feel like i want to you know um post something about work in an indirect way but um i think it's a funny you tread like a strange line of of being of not giving too much of yourself away, but also in in its nature photographs of of things that you're interested in are, you know it's it's a revealing thing, so yeah i just it, I just try to post things that I like or that interest me and no uh,
0: and it works, and I like la- the black and white thing you have an artist's eye, and so i uh, it's one of the things I like
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always loved black and white photos actually i think um and it's just simpler, like for me, I, then I kind of think, oh, there's, there's at least there's a through line. Because I'm quite right. an obsessed pers- person, I think, then my mind sort of needs like something to be like, oh, this is what, this is what I'm doing. So, okay, this is, uh, that seems like a nice uniform thing that everything's black and white. That's something that my brain can cope with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a fun question for you. Uh, what is your most thrilling movie experience, both as a fan and as an actress?
2: Uh, that I've done.
0: So uh, you're most, yeah, thrilling uh, as like, as you're working and as a yeah. fan, like at a theater or something you saw or something, most thrilling moments. Oh, okay.
2: Um, so working as an actress, I mean, I had like, so I just shot Mike um, with David Fincher and I just had the best time. And um, I, that was totally thrilling because you know if i had a top 5 of directors that i'd wanted to work with he was definitely in in that five and and gary oldman um plays my husband and he's uh you know one of my all time favorites and he's just a lovely person so that was like a totally um thrilling experience in that in that sense um and also because it's a film about the kind of hollywood heyday um and we were shooting it you know on location in hollywood that felt like such a kind of impossible thing to my um, like childhood brain of like wanting to be, uh, you know, being from a village that is much like the village in Fisherman's Friends, a tiny, small English village, and then being in Hollywood, shooting a film, you know, doing a job that I love, that was totally surreal. So um, it's probably that one. And as a movie watching experience, um, I remember actually uh, going to see uh, Nosferatu, the like, um, the kind of 20s version, like the really old school Nosferatu in this beautiful um, kind of site specific location in in uh, London, there's this amazing uh, chapel called the Union Chapel, which is a functioning church, but it's also um, a venue for live gigs for um, uh, kind of readings. And it also occasionally does um screenings and and it was one halloween they had uh this huge kind of projection of Nosferatu in this church and i'm a bit of a kind of secret we're well not actually not so secret goth and i i love anything like um kind of dark and creepy and victorian and so that was like heaven to me being in this candle lit chapel watching nosferatu it was like yeah, that was definitely
0: um, the stuff that dreams are made of for me, or nightmares. <laughs> oh, I like that. so you bring up your, your not so secretly into the goth thing. Is there a particular like romantic comedy that you like that would be great as a goth movie?
1: Um, hmm.
2: Romantic comedy that would be good as a goth movie? <laughs> a cool question. I'm trying to think of like my favorite rom-coms. Um, Oh, God, that's really stumped me. Uh, I think it's like, well, the thing, I mean, I really love, like, I'm such a sucker for kind of British comedies like The Office and Alan Partridge and um, those kind of things. So that would be fun to see kind of reimagined in in the the Gothic eye. But, um, yeah, I don't know.
0: I like that. I'm trying to think, like, maybe something with Hugh Grant, like About a Boy or Notting Hill. And then, like, just oh, yeah. a completely goth movie. Four
2: yeah, cool weddings and a funeral, yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, um, or Death at a Funeral, one of those. Yeah, that would be great. Um, all right. Um, so, another fun one for you. What are some particular scenes in movies that have always stuck with you? I know you mentioned Beetlejuice earlier, and I know for me, you know, when he's trying to, Beetlejuice is trying to sell them on him, himself, is like, you know, I've attended a Juilliard, went to Harvard Business School. (laughs) That scene's so great. (laughs) Because he starts off really like, you know, I attended Juilliard, and then he starts yelling, I've seen Exorcist 167 times, So, so scenes like that. Are there any certain scenes that have always stuck with you in movies?
2: yes um one that immediately comes to mind is don't look now um at the very end where um she spins around with that knife in the red coat and it's like the most terrifying thing i think i'd ever seen um another is um rosemary's baby like what have you done to his eyes um that's one that always kind of like haunts me um i also really loved um in serpico there's this great scene um where he meets his girlfriend, and he meets her in a cafe. And she, he said, like, "Why are we here?" or something. She said, "I, I wanted, I wanted um, to meet in a cafe so that you wouldn't shout, or you wouldn't shout, or something. And he just gets up from the table, and turns over like, "I can shout anywhere!" And then she like runs out. I, just like, oh. I was completely in love with Al Pacino in that film. Uh, still am. Uh, and I just thought that I just always remember that. And them sitting in the bath and and her saying, If you um if you marry me, you're gonna have you're gonna have to marry me. And then he's like, Well then am then this is over. And it was just like, Oh god, and he looks like this is kinda of like wet Jesus and I was just you know, <laughs> heart pounding my ribs. But um yeah, those are three that immediately come to
0: mind. Oh, I like those. Those are great. And it reminds me of the the scene in a uh, train spotting where spud goes for the job interview and proper fucks it like i feel like just we've all done that at some point <laughs>
2: oh God, yeah yeah
0: oh. uh that's good
1: well i i really have to apologize for putting you on the spot um right now i have to say that you are the biggest tim burton fan i know for you and your sister's perseverance to fight the precipitation and the rain um <laughs> question question for you did it hold up? Did you like it after you saw it? And then two, I wonder if you will sing a shanty in the tune of Deo using pantsuit, cat, light switch. Oh
2: my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I just the first question. Uh, because that's <laughs> my second question. First question, did, did it hold up? Um, yeah. From what I can remember, because, well, they wouldn't immediately let us watch it. So we didn't win that process first time oh, around. Um, okay. So that was like a fruitless night. We went to bed wet because we had <laughs> trained on and um, got into our bunk beds, like furiously planning the next move. Like, how do we get through to this? But I think eventually when I watched it, yeah, we loved it. Um, and then many years later, I went, you know, dressed. Um, uh, that was my Halloween costume. Um, but, uh, and also Edward Scissorhands, I also dressed as Edward Scissorhands. I used to have very short hair, and I remember um, at drama school, uh, dressing as Edward Scissorhands uh, one Halloween. Um, and then the second question I repressed because it was something about singing, and something
1: about <laughs> <for that. laughs> Oh, <laughs> I remember what I asked, yes. Oh, could you oh. sing a shanty <laughs> to the tune of Deo using pantsuit, light to switch? To the
0: tune of Deo. The, 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 bana- the banana boat yeah. song, yeah
1: work all night on a drinker. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. I, to- no, I can't.
1: <laughs> I like how you humoured me. <laughs>
2: Just,
1: Just for a millisecond. I
2: did think, could I? Uh, no, that's, um, because the problem is if I do that, I remember once doing like, uh, I was doing an audio book for something. Um, and there was, in, in the reception to the, the recording studio, they had this huge wheel um, of like every accent you can imagine, every regional accent in the UK that you can imagine. And um, they were like, oh, we just want to do this fun exercise once you finish the audiobook, which is you spin this wheel and whatever accent it lands on, <laughs> you read this whole passage in that accent. And I, I mean, there was Scottish, Geordie, Welsh. I was like, you are kidding me. If I do that and it lands on one of those accents and I do a terrible accent for the, an entire passage, then I'm out of work for any job that requires me to be Welsh. <laughs> if you make me do a shanty now, then that's me done for is three. You know, so it's like I'm um, done. But no, right, I, well, I wish I could. Sorry.
1: Okay. Well, then the, here's here's a follow-up question to still redeem yourself. So uh, there's a movie uh, comes out this year called Relic. It stars Emily Mortimer. Um, yeah. It's it's a familial horror. Uh, and it's set in Australia. So one of the characters obviously is Australian and the way she says the word home, she stretches it out so it's like three syllables. She goes, home. So, <laughs> with all the accents you've done and all the work that you've done, what's been one of the weirdest accents or words that you just couldn't get off the tip of your tongue?
0: Hmm.
2: I remember um, uh, working with a Scottish actor, um, who I love called Jack Loudon and he um, and I would constantly get him to say the word dirty to me because I love the way it sounded in Scottish accent. It was like dirty. And I just, <laughs> I, every time it takes, I was like, say again, say again. And he was like, You've got to, I'm not going to say it anymore. Dirty. I just thought it was so it's because it sounds dirty. I was like, oh, so great. <laughs>
1: uh, my, my, my daughter says, uh, she says cotton candy. I go, did you just get back from university? <laughs> like, Where, where does a bizarre accent come from? But,
2: no. She's like making her own accent up. That's cool.
1: She's going to be famous. She's going she's gonna to put me uh, in jail. Yeah, uh, I got to And
0: like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, as we wrap this uh, talk up, can you tell us a little bit about, if you can, a little bit, how much excited you are for um, Mank and Possessor?
2: yeah i mean it's what's so nice about um having worked for a few years now and being able to like i mean by no means can i pick and choose but i think that you, you get to be a bit more selective about where you want your career to go and it's so nice to be able to do a film like fisherman's friends and then a film like possessor because they could not be at more opposite ends of the um but uh yeah i'm really excited about possessor um andrea and chris are so brilliant in it and i'm really chuffed for brandon that that i've taken it on because it's it's such a he has such a cool strange brain um and is so modest and i'm really excited for people to see it because it's really just a trip like i mean if you've seen the trailer it's like it's that and then some it's kind of um it's so experimental and so cool and you feel like you're really working with an artist um who's kind of like stretching the limits of his capabilities, So I I think that's going to be a really interesting one. And and I think people will have quite a strong reaction to it. Um, I won't be able to help that because it's so kind of provocative. But um, yeah, and Mike, I think is again, a very different type of film, but um, you know, Fincher is such a a kind of master and um, has such a, A kind of a beautiful way of telling films like uh, uh, telling his stories that they're always so specific each one and and quite different in terms of genre all of the films that he's done and I think that he's managed to be one of those people who's kind of straddles so many different styles and tones and um yeah I I think that I'm so excited for Gary too because he's his performance in it is like out of this world and um I'm, I'm just a small part of it, but, um, yeah, I mean, to be a small part of a film like that, I'm, I'm really
0: grateful to have done that. Well, that's great. And, uh, just thank you. Everybody see Fisherman's Friends, uh, and see everything else Tuppence has been in. Thank you so much. I feel (laughs) like both Mark and I can talk to you for another eight hours.
2: Yeah, Let's do that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Let's do that. Let's do that. We're going to, okay, then I'm going to go get some pints of beer, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to, I'll get the fish and chips. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much. We hope to have you on the show again in the near future. And when we're in London the next time, uh, beer is on us.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me.